0: Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 15. Good to have guests with us today guests from the community, guests from um, others, other places. We have family here from North Dakota. Pat has family here from North Dakota. North Dakota is well represented this morning. We have folks here from uh, Iowa. And we have you here from wherever you're from. So good to have you today. Let's stand together for the reading of the scripture. And let me just introduce uh, where we are in the text. Jesus uh, traveled across from west to east of the, across the Sea of Galilee in a vicious storm when he arrived on the eastern coast uh, there was a man there from Gadara, Gadarene, that met him. This man was possessed with many devils, the Bible says. And Jesus cast those devils out, and those demons ran into a herd of swine, over 2,000 of them. And they ran into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. And uh, those who were feeding the pigs, those who were carrying, caring for those animals, those swine... Uh, Then they ran into town, and the Bible says around the countryside, began to tell everyone what had happened to the animals. I mean, it's quite a scene if you think about it. Just be sitting out there minding your own business, watching the pigs, and all this transpired. And that brings us to chapter 5 and verse 15. These are the people now, they who came out from the city, and they came, or they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. And had the legion, legion being numerous devils, this is how they found him, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it, those who actually witnessed what took place, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also... Concerning the swine. And they began to pray him, talking about Jesus, to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Uh, We have a little photograph of the region known as Decapolis. Uh, it's a combination of words. Pali is city. Deca, ten. And it's a region of ten cities, Decapolis. And they're, they're up there in uh, kind of a reddish color. Philadelphia is one of them. Pala- Gadara, that's where the maniac was from. Gadara, the main man from, he was a Gadarene. And then all the way up to Damascus. That's, I'll show you that So, what a great region that was. I hope you can see right in the middle, the river from north to south. That's the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee, the body of water, close to the top, Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea at the bottom. So you picture this region, Philadelphia, would be in the country of Jordan, Damascus in the country of present-day Syria, and only one of those cities is west of uh, the Jordan River. That city was uh, known as Beth-shan at one time in the Old Testament. And so I say all this to say, Jesus said to this man, I want you to go home and tell people what the Lord's done for you. And he began to publish in Decapolis. So this man began to evangelize and give his testimony in the region known as Decapolis. Quite a region. That's not just like going to, you know, Anaconda or something, really. Nothing against Anaconda. But we're talking about a region of a great geographic area with ten principal cities. Now, if you look back at your Bible before we pray, it says in verse uh, 17, And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. These people in the community began to pray him, ask him to depart out of their coast. And then verse 18 it says, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him, that he might be with him, we have as two uh, different responses to Jesus as you could possibly get. One said to Jesus, "We want you to leave. Please leave." The other said to Jesus, "Please let me stay with you." And I want to just think about those responses today on this and think about this subject, responses to Jesus. And let's pray as we begin. Father, again, thank you for your word. Bless as we study it together. Thank you for such an amazing transformation in the life of this terribly demonized man. Thank you for the power of the gospel to change our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to personalize the word of God today. And Lord, respond to it in our heart in a way that would please you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we can see in this text, and actually we devoted the entire message last Sunday to this passage, the change in this man's life was remarkable. It was undeniable. It was miraculous. He was a new person. When they come to find... We we talked last week about how people would not go near him anywhere he would be because of fear of this man and how he acted and how he lived. He was cutting himself, he was crying out. In the night, they tried to, they actually tried to confine him and restrain him with chains and fetters, but he was so demonized, so powerfully, supernatural power, that he would break those chains. And now he's just sitting and he's at rest and he's clothed. Luke said he ran around unclothed, naked. He's sitting and he's clothed and in his right mind. What a transformation! What a miracle. It's an amazing thing what God can do in a person's life. He was changed. He was changed by the power of God. And after his change, then we see these different responses uh, to Jesus. And I'm fascinated by them actually as I just read about them from a historical point of view. But I also realize we see this in our society, we see it among people that we know, these two diametrically opposed responses to Jesus. So the first one we'll look at earlier in the text is the response of those in the community. Now again, verse 14 says that they that fed the swine, when they saw what was happening, these swine running into the sea, they went and told it in the city. And there's a lot of pronouns there, a lot of they's. Verse 14 says, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And so they had to see for themselves. And they, verse 15 Come to Jesus, and they saw this man, and again, these were people in the community. It was not like they didn't know who this man was. I promise you, if this man lived anywhere around where we're living today, you would know about this man, right? They knew about this man, and they came to see this man, and the Bible says in verse 15, they were last part of verse 15, they were afraid, That word fear, they were afraid, they were in awe of it, but they were also alarmed. I mean, this was something that shook them up, and we'll see that uh, clearly in a moment. Some Such dramatic changes. By the way, when people see someone that has been radically transformed by the gospel, it does have an effect on them. You may not see it, but it has an effect on them. Religion, people understand religion. What they don't understand is transformation, going from one person to another person. That is something different than just getting religion or going to church. And so these people, um, were, were, it was, they found it very unsettling. Let's just use that word, found it unsettling. And verse 16 says, and they that saw it, those who actually were there when it happened, these were eyewitnesses, told how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also the swine. They, they told them, this is what happened to the man. We saw the transformation in his life. This is what happened to the swine. We witnessed as they ran madly down into the sea and drowned themselves. And the response that we want to focus on for a little bit is found in verse 17. And they, having heard the evidence, having seen what transpired... They began to pray Him to depart out of their coasts. They implored Jesus to leave. Right? It's crazy. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. I mean, to see what good things had happened in this man's life. How his life was better. His, his, His family would be better. And yet when they saw it, They ask him to leave. This town terror, this local local terrorist was changed. His ruined and wasted life had been salvaged. There was no denying it. He was a new person. And yet they pleaded with Jesus to leave the area. I mean, is that what you get out of those verses? That's exactly what those verses are telling us. He was no longer welcome. It leaves me to speculate. I wonder why, right? Why would they feel this way? Why would, they, why would they not want Jesus? I'd be saying, Jesus, I want you to come meet somebody near me. Whatever happened to that man, I'd like to see happen to this person. You know what I'm saying? But they didn't want Jesus around. I don't know why. Maybe they were shocked. It, it is unsettling. Maybe they were shocked at what had happened. Maybe they felt threatened by this radical... Dramatic, remarkable change. You know, his, I, I can't say that I've seen this just recently, but I have seen it firsthand, who people have had a, a loved one or a friend that they're begging for them to be saved and praying for them to be saved and asking the church to pray for them to be saved. But then when they get really saved and their life is changed, and all of a sudden they weren't expecting this. I mean, they wanted a better person. They didn't want a different person. But salvation makes us completely different. Maybe they were maybe they were struggling. I know some of them must have been with the financial loss. I mean, there are thousands of pigs, right? They ran off into the hill. They're going to down, drown. Knock. How are we going to pay the bills? You know, What are we going to do now? The activity of Jesus was costing them. I'm not going to turn to it, but there are other places in the Bible, in the book of Acts, there were people there who made their living by making idols. You remember that you know, these false idols of worship and, and all of a sudden people are getting saved and now they're they're you know, the bottom line is being affected. By the way, let me just tell you, if if true revival came to America, if true revival came, true revival came to this county, people would be affected. People who run the bars, people who do this and that and whatever it may be, I guarantee you'd be affected. In a good way. But the bottom line would be affected. And I think that may be part of the reason here. This man, this this idea that people are going to be transformed was disturbing their world. They were not welcoming to Jesus. Now, it's a good time to remind ourselves that Jesus is about changing people. He's about changing people. If you don't want to change, you don't want Jesus, because He's not about the status quo. He doesn't save us to leave us the way we were. He doesn't save us that we can just be what we want to be. He saved us to change us. As a matter, you say, well, how much does He want to change us? His stated agenda is this: that He's going to work on us until we become like Him. Is that right or wrong? That's God's plan. Some people don't want that. They don't want their schedule changed. They don't want their their routine changed. They don't want their priorities changed. And so Jesus is about changing people. And I think the truth is everyone does not want Jesus in their life. They may want religion, but they don't want Jesus. They certainly don't want to go to hell. They'd like to go to heaven when they die. But but they don't really want all this change. And the changes that Jesus brought, even in the Gospels, those changes were often criticized. He was criticized by the things he did. They wanted to kill him. If you're not familiar with the Gospels, you may not be aware of that. But there are a lot of people that wanted him dead. And it wasn't because he was a good man. It wasn't because he broke the law. It wasn't because he was hurting anybody. He was helping people. But they didn't want it. I was reading this week um, in 1 Samuel. And you know, 1 Samuel follows the period of the judges in the Old Testament. In the period of the judges, Israel had this, this continual uh, tendency to get away from God, to drift away from God. God would judge them. They would turn to God. God would send a judge. The judge would tell them the truth and God would deliver them. Men like Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and you're familiar with the period of the judges. After the judges followed 1 Samuel. First Samuel, uh, Samuel was a great judge and Samuel was a prophet. And Samuel... Um, began to get older and the people began to say, we want a king. We want a king like the other nations. Could, could we have a king? And Samuel tried to talk them out of it. You don't, we don't need a king. Let, God is our king. Why do we need a king? But they insisted on having a king. And Sam, it doesn't say that Samuel took it personally, but this is what the Lord said to Samuel. He said this, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. That's what God said. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They don't want me, they don't want me running their life. And that's the way these people were. And that's the way a lot of people are today. I would be surprised if they're not people like that sitting here today. They don't really want Jesus running their life. They, don't want, they want their sins forgiven, but they don't really want a Lord. They don't want a king. You follow me? So these people said, no, get out of here. We don't want you, we don't want you anymore. Now, people would have a hard time verbalizing that. I think most people would. But in our, you just look at the culture we live in. Look at our country. And you can easily see that there are more and more people that don't really have an appetite for living by the Bible. So so, how much do people really want Jesus involved in their life? Another thing I find that's interesting in this passage. Is that the, this is one example. There are many examples of this. And that is the Lord does not stay where he's not wanted. He doesn't. He doesn't stay where he's not welcome. So let's, So we're going to just kind of. Hold on to that response. This was the response of the people. The people who saw what he did, the people who witnessed the transformation, the people who knew about what he could do, they said, we don't want you. We don't want you in our community. It's a sad day in America when more and more communities, whether they say it or not, they're expressing this. We don't really want God and the Bible In our community, in our schools. We just really don't want it. That's a sad thing, isn't it? Amen. But now let's look at a different response. Look with me, if you would please, to this man who was saved. He was dramatically converted. In verse 15, it says that when they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, was possessed with the devil. And had the legion, he had all these demons in him. They see him sitting and clothed, and in his right mind, they were afraid. We see this man sitting. I made note of this last, last week, but in Luke's gospel, when Luke's recorded this, Luke said he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, which I think those words uh, really describe. He wasn't just sitting idly, which is him, for, him, for this man to be sitting was a, a noteworthy. But he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke said. Matter of fact, Luke also records, you remember the story, when Jesus visited the house of Mary and Martha, and Martha was cumbered about many things, and she's working around the kitchen and getting, but Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Same terminology, sitting at the feet. So, what does that mean? It means this man is now, he's a disciple, he's a learner. He wants to hear what Jesus has to say. He's wanting to feed on the Word of God. He is now a seeker of God. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He is a, he's, he is a genuine Bible thumper. I mean, this guy is a true convert. There's, I'll tell you, America needs more people like this here, right? And we need to be more like this guy, not just religious, Not just occasional church attenders, but people who are soaking up what Jesus has. People who are serious about what Jesus has to say. And so how was this man's response? Look in verse 18. And when he, and again that pronoun he there is talking about Jesus, when he was coming to the ship. Jesus is about to board the ship, go back across the Sea of Galilee. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. He prayed him. He entreated him. Not necessarily begged, but he, he, he wanted him. He was beseeching him that he might be with him. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be near Jesus. Jesus had finished his purpose... On the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting when you think about it. He went through that stormy time. Remember that? Going across the sea. And how water was coming into the boat. And the disciples were afraid. And Jesus is in in the back of the ship. And he's sleeping. And he's not affected really by what is going on. He went through all that trouble. To go to the eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee. He saved this one man. And now he's going back across the Sea of Galilee, we might say, what a waste. I don't think it was a waste, right? He had a mission. He had a purpose. He set this poor demonized man free. And so here's a contrast. Many in the community say, we don't want Jesus. But this man says, I want you to be with me. He besought the Lord that he might be able to remain with him. They, the word is prayed. And it's not like prayed, like like saying a prayer, but prayed, being, talking to, talking about, beseeching. They prayed for Jesus to leave. He prayed that he might stay with Jesus. Now, I think it'd be good this morning to think about which of those responses best describes our life. One is just wanting Jesus to be close to you. Wanting to be near him. Wanting to spend time with him. The other is, Lord, you're getting too close. We don't want you here. We don't want... And they. it wasn't just they didn't want his person. They didn't want what he represented. They didn't want his agenda. They didn't want him to be in charge. They didn't want his lordship. They did not want him. Which of those responses best describe my life? Jo- Jesus, I want you to be closer to me. I want to, I, I got an interesting, uh, I won't show it to you now, it's so on my phone, a message this week. I talked to a guy that I don't know in Texas because he had written some stuff about our materials. But, the, but he, he so, so he sent me a text and basically the text said, would you pray for me one time? This prayer that I would just keep drawing closer to Jesus in my life. I thought, what an interesting thing. He didn't ask me to pray for him every day. He said, Would you just pray for me that I would just keep getting closer to Jesus? Don't you think that's a good prayer request? He wanted, this man wanted Jesus close to him, he wanted to be near him. He wanted to spend time with him. He didn't want him to leave. He didn't want to think about him going back across the Sea of Galilee. And there's probably any number of reasons why he might have thought that. But from a spiritual point of view, he just wanted to grow. But from a practical point of view, here he is, a man transformed, radically transformed. And the person who changed him is about to leave. And he may be wondering, how am I going to function? How am I going to get by? How am I going to manage? But whatever his thinking was, he wanted Jesus to be close. Look in verse 19, if you would please. How be it, Jesus suffered him not. Jesus didn't go along with his request. But saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them, how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Now, here's a man just got saved, right? Radically transformed. And he says, Jesus, here's my request. I just want to be close to you. And Jesus said, What? No. <laughs> right? He refused his request. He suffered him not. Jesus said no. No. I'm I'm just paraphrasing. I'm just putting words in. No. I know you want to be near me, but I have something else for you to do. And to me, this says a lot about this man's attitude. You know, uh, a person said to me many, many years ago, you never really know where a person stands until you tell them no. You know, there's a lot of truth in that. Sometimes people get upset with Jesus because Jesus doesn't always say yes to everything they want to do. You find out a lot about a person when Jesus said no. And Jesus said this to this person. He said, No, that's not what I want you to do. By the way, this ought to be the response of people who really want God. I want God's will. Not my will, but God's will. The first we have, thank, thank the Lord, we have the first response out of the lips of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. When he got saved, his first utterance was this Lord, what will you have what do you want me to do? See, there's the attitude of a real convert. Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what do I want to do? Not I want you to bless my plans. No, what do you want me to do? And so Jesus said, that's not what I want, but this is what I want. Look in verse 19 again. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath compassion on thee. He said, this is what I want you to do. And you know what he did? Look in verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did not mar- You know what he did? He said, he promptly obeyed the Lord. He said, Lord, this is what I want to do. I just want to, I pray you, let me just stay close to you. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go a different direction. I'm going to go west over the Sea of Galilee. I want you to go a different direction. And you know what he did? He immediately did what Jesus wanted him to do. Is that right? Why would he do that? Because that was his heart. He wanted to obey the Lord. Jesus had saved him. Jesus had transformed him. Go tell your friends what I've done for you. Most of us have read this and thought about this and we've experienced it with our own lives. Sometimes the hardest people for us to witness to are those closest to us. The hardest... People for us to discuss spiritual things with and talk with them about their relationships and how they need the Lord in their life or the people closest to us. And that's exactly what Jesus told this man to do. By the way, if you can witness to your family and your friends and those closest, you can witness to about anybody. And so he began, it says in verse 20, we we looked at that region of Decapolis earlier. He began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. It's this large region covered such a huge territory. And he began to talk to these people. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Would you think with me for just a moment uh, this morning? And think about people that you know, people that are close to you. And no doubt, if they're close to you, they probably know you go to church, right? Right? They probably know that you, hopefully they know you're saved. But you know what? They need to hear. They need to hear what Jesus has done for us. They need to hear what the gospel means. How our life has been transformed. How our life has literally been transformed because of the grace of God. Go tell these people. And you know what? In our life, there are people that we see on a regular basis. They're not in Africa or Germany or Central America or Canada or South America or Australia. They're in our neighborhood. And they need to hear what Jesus has done for you. They don't just need to hear about religion. They don't just need to hear... And inviting them to church is a step in the right direction. But they need to say, no, what Jesus has done for us, He's changed my life. Jesus has changed our life. Go tell these people. And his testimony had an impact. Look in verse 20. It says that uh, he told them how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. They, what was he telling them? How God has been good to me. How, how merciful he's been. Look what he says in the last part of verse 19. And hath had compassion on thee. People need to hear how good god is by the way god is good amen he's transformed our life he's given us purpose he's forgiven of our forgiveness of our sins he's changed us so think about these two these two groups of people or one is a group and one's an individual think about this today ask yourself if is there anything in me that's like that community that really resists the change that Jesus wants to make in my life. And I'll tell you, if there's any of that in us, we need to ask God to take it out of our life. We want want Him to have His way in us. He's He's not a trespasser. He's not an intruder. He's not an unwelcome guest. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. If you're saved... We want Him. We want His way. We want His will. And may we be more and more like this second person, the one whose life was transformed. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to do this, but if you want something else, then I want something else. Because I want what you want in my life. We were praying this morning with some men before church for people in our church according to God's will, of course, that people in our church would, would sense the call more and more to take the gospel to other places. Even other countries. We ought to pray for that. Those people need the gospel. Unreached people need the gospel. Sometimes, sometimes parents, and I've heard this for years, parents are, you know, they want people to be saved elsewhere, but they don't really want people in their family to go. You know, I wouldn't want that. We want God's will to be done. Amen? Whatever God wants. Hey, God's the one in charge, not us. He's the sovereign. He's the ruler. He's the master, not us. We want His will to be done. I don't know about you, but I don't don't want to be anything like that community. By the way, I don't want this community to be like that community. But unfortunately, in some ways, they are. Some of them are anyway. They don't really want Jesus to have His way. I don't want to be like that. And I'm going to urge you today to think about this in your own life personally. I don't want to be like the group that said, Jesus, go away. I want to be like the man that said, Jesus, please don't leave. I want you to be with me. I need you in my life. I want to be a part of your life. And when he said, do this, then we say, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And by the way, this all starts when a person gets saved, right? This man, this man just didn't get, you know, a a reformation. He got, he was saved. He was transformed. He was regenerated. He was born again. You know, who saved him? Jesus did. Religion didn't save him. Jesus did. And if you're today, that's what you need. That's what we all need. Right? Say, preacher... What's the greatest thing ever happened to you? There's no question in my mind. A lot of things I look back on and I'm just thankful for God's blessing. But the greatest thing that ever happened to us was when God saved us. He changed our life. Not just a day or two or a month or two or a year or two. He changed our life. Aren't you glad for salvation? And how does that happen? It happens when a person recognizes they need a savior. They're lost. They've, they've, they've sinned against God. They, can't, they don't have any hope of saving themselves, but Jesus died for their sins. Jesus died. He paid the price for our sins that we could be forgiven. I, I thank God so often that when someone cared about us, they didn't just tell us about religion. You know, you just need to be, you just need to be more religious. No, we don't need more religion We need a relationship with God. And if you're here today and you're not saved, that's what you need. And Jesus wants to save you. You say, well, he could never save me. If If he could save this man, possessed by thousands of devils, turn his life around immediately, something tells me he could save you. Amen? But you've got to come to him. You've got to come to him. You could do that today, right where you are. You could do that. Say, Lord, I want you in my life. I, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of being really in bondage to my sin and myself. I want to be free. I want to, be, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. Some people may say, well, I tried that and it didn't work out. You, didn't, you may have tried it. I'm not talking about trying something. I'm talking about being saved, transformed by the grace of God. Amen it la- it works and it lasts amen thank god for that